Welcome to What's the Point, a weekly discussion of truth, realities, challenges, theological and philosophical views, national policies, and international concerns. Welcome to What's the Point. Um, Today we're going to be starting um, a two-part series on Paul, who is one of the most prominent characters in the Bible. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about a background on his life. Um, and then next week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper in his ministry. So today's going to be um, just a little background, getting to know who Paul is. So our first question would be, who is Paul? Um, Dad, if you want to start. Yeah, well, Paul really started with the name Saul uh, before he became a Paul. And um, it was part of the uh, religious council of those days, uh, the Jewish religious council. And uh, he really had uh, a very strong, strong hatred and dislike for the followers of the way, so to say. I mean, the believers. Uh, at the time uh, when Paul came into the uh, picture, um, Jesus already... Uh, has uh, resurrected and ascended to heaven and therefore the spread of Christianity was uh, massive and uh, he hated that. So he was uh, persecuting. He made sure he was persecuting them and making their lives difficult. One of the more prominent uh, thing he did was uh, to give approval to the stoning of Stephen, the subject of our uh, was the point at yeah, the time, and um, on his road, on his way to Damascus to persecute the people there, God uh, confronted him with a really bright light, and uh, he got blind. He was blinded. He was blind, and some Ananias helped him out, and that was his turning point. And then he realized that he was wrong. He accepted the Lord and became a turnaround from uh, technically. Uh, murderer uh, to a missionary uh, of, of very great intensity and uh, has been responsible for planting of many Christian churches beyond Jerusalem, the Church of Ephesus, Philippi, Galatia, Corinthians. So, um, his missionary journeys was used by God to expand the kingdom very rapidly. Mm. So that's the reason why he's quite prominent in the New Testament. Wow. What do you think, Josh? Um, you know, Dad kind of gave a good background of Paul, but what can you add or what is your, um, what do you think of him? Well, you know, going back to like the background of Paul, like thinking about like his life, right? So if you look at him, like Dad says, he's part of the religious group and that religious group is called the Pharisees, right? Which you actually see a lot of that mentioning that like, mentioned the Pharisees in the Bible in Jesus' time because they're very, like, prominent, like, religious leaders at the time. What's fascinating is this, like, it's important to think about how, you know, as a Pharisee, one of the things that you obviously uphold is the law and, you know, kind of religion, God's commandments, right, which is not the worst thing. And so, you know, Paul was a really big believer in that, that aspect. But it's interesting to think about how, Obviously, like dad said, like he had that conversion moment. But I think it's important to consider like Paul, because something that I found out pretty recently, what Paul's life was, right? Because to put into context, like, because we say religious leader, but we don't know the implications. 
So in all honesty, if you're a religious leader, leader back in the day, like you actually make a lot of money. You know, you're one of the more affluent people, right? In, you know, kind of societies, you're up there. And also, you know, not only are you like affluent and make money, but also you have a lot of influence, right? So those are the things. Just to, just to put yourself in Paul's perspective, all I have to say that he was a very rich guy. The thing is, this is something I didn't find out so recently. Paul, he was a Pharisee. And one of the qualifications to be a Pharisee is that you have to be married. Oh, okay. So Paul was actually, since he was a Pharisee, he had to be married at one point, which is actually not a wide known fact, but it's fascinating. Oh, he had to have been married at one point. Otherwise, he can't be a Pharisee. Right? Ah. Fascinating. So that's something I didn't know until seminary. All that's to mention, I will say- I wonder if, uh, if, you know, the thorn or whatever- what are not the thorn, but what he wants to that, do, that whatever. I wonder if that's got to be something related to his girl. <laughs> Could be. Well, we don't know because, like, if the girl didn't die or if something didn't happen to the right, girl, then, it would have probably stayed. Yeah, that's true. So maybe, I mean, part of it, it, it could be too that the thorn could be like if his wife did die, let's just say, you know, then maybe the thought of her, like the aspect of like not being able to let go of her, maybe. Mm -hmm. So there was no, there was no exception for the Pharisee, uh, like uh, uh, to be like if you're so good in law and you have enough money. Not to my knowledge them. that I know of, because they, obviously they're very all about the rules. So yeah. that's one of the conditions they had. So I mean, maybe they had an exception for Paul, but then you know. They had to be. All I have to say, the reason why I mentioned that is because Paul says this thing that's very interesting. He says after he gets converted, right, and he understands the full love of God, really, he says, look, I know what it's like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to have nothing. Yeah. But what he's saying there is actually not just preacher hype. He's saying the truth because I just told y'all the context behind it. He was actually a very wealthy dude. Mm -hmm. But he was willing to give that all up for the sake of going for the gospel and really professing Jesus' name, even if it meant losing losing his status. Yeah, and that's the reason why he was called a tent maker because his business was really making tents. Right. right and, because uh, he didn't really need, he didn't really um, need support. Need support. He always yeah. said that in his um in his in the god in the, yeah. um, in his writings. Like he was basically telling them, I didn't, I don't ask you guys for money. But this was yeah. fascinating. He actually is a big proponent for people in ministry to get money. He says that people in ministry, it's in the Bible, should get money. However, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of you guys not harassing me, I choose to be bivocational so that, or not even, I choose to make money off of tent making so that there's no excuses that you're making for me. There's yeah. no ulterior motive. Because he tells story. them, he tells the in the letters, he tells them that you should give to like the people, like, you know, the, the, the leaders, you should give to them, you should bless them. But then he goes back and like, yeah, but I'm not, I, not me because. I think Paul was a surest. He just wanted to be sure that there was no ulterior motive kind of thing. Also, you have yeah. to think um, he was not the best liked new christian you know what i'm saying like he's a sure also probably because they already didn't believe him at first 
Right. What's yeah. Uh, just to put in context, remember that uh, now, like to be to be selling tents is a small business. Before it was a big business, because most people were mobile and were were in tents. So it's like you are in the roofing industry. Uh, right. So that that's a big business uh, right. that he was in. Yeah. And so. Uh, right. I'm going to say another thing. So I just like people to understand that Paul was the real deal when he says these things. He often will, you know, say an illustration. But when it comes to his personal life, it's not a hyperbole. Because like he said, like, I know what it's like to have a lot and a little. He understands that. Also, another one is it's good for you to marry and it's good for you not to marry. For a long time in my life, I'm like, Paul, like, you can't say that it's not good for somebody to marry or it's not. You, nobody should marry. You can't say that because you've never been married, right? So right, but then now... Say that. But now I can't say that to Paul because according to, like, evidence, he actually was married at one time, so he knew what that was like. Yeah, um, but As remember, well. in that statement, there was another... It was succeeded, but... And I, I tend to believe you, uh, George, I think that's the correct evidence that you have seen, although my first time to hear that, that yeah. um, he was actually married before, and I don't know what happened to that, because he said you, you can marry or not marry, it's your choice. But in my case, I decided, right, uh, sort of to be to, to, to be single, single. something. Like, uh, not, not, he didn't use the word single. I have to check again. He used a word. Well, because the word uh, single, I'm sure that was not used in the right. in the translation. You know, yeah. yeah. So I, just, like... uh, I decided something. We we'll, we'll have to check that again. But uh, but the context is that so that I can dedicate my life. Uh, for God, something like that. So, so that's um, I'm a believer that, like, you know, it's just hypothetical. But I'm a believer that, like, maybe something did happen to his wife because you know it's hard for me to accept, like, same thing with Peter, that they would just leave their wives completely because it's kind of unchristian, like, as well to just completely. Oh, did leave Peter? Did it? Pe like, did does his wife? I'm sure she did, died. Maybe. No, 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 no. Peter's wife. Did, I mean, maybe as well like, because they wouldn't just like leave her. You know what no, I mean? No, I think like, that I, I think they just, get to go home or they came. Like yeah. if you watch the oh, show, okay. The Chosen, yeah, yeah. there there were 12 men. Right. There were women there. So, I understand like, just that uh, the language before was patriarchal. So and we so don't talk emphasis, about the... Yeah, yeah, the emphasis is on men and they don't talk about women. They don't so, say like, oh, and they brought their wives with yeah. them. So yeah. potentially his wife could have been in there with him or... Yeah, yeah. So the context, like today, you, if you don't mention your your wife, you'll be in serious trouble. Uh, so we are now matriarchal, really, more than patriarchal. But back uh, then, the <laughs> language, yeah, that's true. You really would be in trouble, yeah. But back then, the language was not, was more patriarchal so that you, I because like I said, the, the show, The Chosen, kind of shows it in a more, like, understandable right. way. So I think that I think that makes sense. But I had another question too. So like um Pharisees, right? Are they inherently they're not inherently bad. Like I don't think they woke up one day and said we're going to be bad. I think they just oh, no, no. so well that it became so strict. Like no. I I would say that they were in fact the best qualified theologians of their days. The best, the best qualified philosophers, uh, maybe they learned in law. Uh, they had very good uh, finances, so they were, in fact, the ideal. Uh, they were the models for people 
to follow with the exception that they all became proud because of their positions and influence. That's the danger. That's the danger, actually. They were all with very high qualifications. And then they forgot, really, that all of those were that given. They become proud, they become entitled, uh, and they get mad when their influence is not followed. That's where, you know, when you look at Satan, uh, he will oppress you some other way. He will either oppress you with poverty, and when you get proud, when you get rich, he will oppress you with pride. Uh, so he comes in different ways. But in this case, yeah. What's fascinating too is like what I was saying, I got to understand like, you know, the Pharisees, like they obeyed the law as well. They tithe, right? Right. They do good stuff. Also too, they memorize all of the Old Testament by heart. So, right. I mean, these people are like really serious about their faith, right? They really serious about like that. But unfortunately, it's really a picture of this is what God trying to tell people. Even if, you know, you are, doing everything perfectly in the world standards, right? Even if you do all the good works, unfortunately, it's not enough. And, and the reason why is because even if you sin once, you can't go to heaven. You know right. what I mean? Every, nobody in their right mind can say, I don't care how old you are. Nobody that's sensical can say, I have never sinned in this life. Right. That's a commonality, actually, that all, all people have is no matter what you are, you mm-hmm. sin and, and to cool. say that you that's have like a it. known fact, like everybody, yeah, fact, right? Even if it's a yeah. small sin, that's why even the Pharisees, even if they perfected their craft, they still had to sin, you know, in the past, which means that they still need forgiveness, right? And so it's the aspect of like, man, they were off the charts. They were re- really the best humans on the planet. If but you they were to- legitimately believe that, because at that time, like they were technically supposed to be a good humans. But they just couldn't accept the fact that Jesus came because it. Yeah, because they were expecting it. they were expecting someone far better than them in terms of background, finances, influence, some mm. maybe something of royal following, something like that. How in the world will they now believe someone who who claims to be the Messiah who's working with fishermen? Uh, right, like the lonely in, class, in, yeah. In Bethlehem, in Galilee, uh, son of a carpenter, what is that? Uh, to them, it, is that? So out of their uh, knowledge, they could not seem to believe Jesus. You see, sometimes right. knowledge can block you from the real truth. Right. Uh, that sounds, uh, that sounds uh, what is the right word? Oxymoron. Oxymoron, uh, yeah. Yeah, but your knowledge, your, your, your ability you being knowledgeable sometimes gives you a bias that something that is really truthful or the truth you would can't not believe. be that simple. Right. Also, yeah, I will say simple. right. I will say to you this aspect of like when we talk about Jesus, right? One example that really shakes me, and like I have to be careful because I kind of reminisce once in a while. Idea that like you know with Jesus, it's the story of like when a woman came in and like her reputation was not the best, right? But then, like, she comes in there and, like, washes Jesus' feet at this Pharisee party. It's actually a really fascinating story. It's not a Pharisee party, right? And then this woman washes Jesus' feet, right? But then the woman, you know, according to, like, speculation, if you were to speculate, like, what kind of woman she was, a lot of people think she was a prostitute, okay? 
Mm-hmm. So imagine this woman coming to a Pharisee party. So thinking about the holiest party they can go to, like, you know, a place where it's like everybody's perfect, right? Right. And then a woman comes in, right? Who is like the worst. You've heard all about her, right? Like you've heard like everybody her. knows about her. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like she's no good. And she comes in, but she comes in crying and washing Jesus' feet, right? Doesn't it's she really do it with her hair? With her hair, right? Really like really being apologetic to Jesus, right? And what's fascinating was his response. He was like, he knew what they thought of him, mm-hmm. right? But then he said this, look, this woman is above y'all because I came in here, right? And you didn't even have water for me to dip my feet in, right? right. But this woman is washing my feet with her tears, and y'all didn't even have tap water to give her my. Is feet. she the one? Is she the same woman with the with the perfume? Maybe it's yeah. different. Is same? I think it's the same. It's the same woman with the perfume, and it costs her whole like entire year's wage. Right. Uh, yeah. I think and it's he same. dried he the uh, uh, washing with his with her hair. Something like yeah, that. she something like it's, that. It's, it was, it's very fascinating to think about because it's the idea of don't miss this. Like us Christians, maybe when we were at our lowest, we did that to Jesus, where we were like, okay, God, like with our tears, I'm sure so, all of us have experienced this aspect of like, I'm in tears, just help me. And sometimes in our brokenness, it's an amazing feeling when he picks us up. Mm-hmm. But the issue is after he's done that, maybe after years of great stuff, then we kind of forget like we're a different person and we're like the Pharisees where we even forget to be with him. Right. And, mm. and apologize and, and cause we're too busy or we're too en- engulfed in ourselves, I guess that we're no longer thinking about how much, what do you call it? How undeserving we are. Right. Still. Or where, or where we, where would we have been if he didn't pick us up? Like as, um, at some point, we all have been in the place where he pulled us out. And immediately after that, we're very grateful. We're very thankful. But then we forget, we, like Josh said, we get busy. We, you know, things, life happens and we forget to do that. And that's something that's really important because that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing. They- uh, and the unfortunate thing too is we forget God. It's really funny. And this happens to me all the time. And it's really bad, but I'm just going to be honest with my weaknesses. We forget God really in the most amazing moments. Mm-hmm. which kind of frustrates me because it makes the moments even more amazing if we don't forget God in those amazing yeah. moments. But it's just human nature, I guess. So Yeah, exactly. Because we're not, it's like on the broken moments, the first reaction is, oh, God, help me. But then on the really great moments, the first reaction should be, God, thank you. But that, but that's rare. Like, you know what I mean? You have to really be mindful of doing right. that exactly um so okay we basically talked about you know paul's life and god um showing himself to him in, in damascus um how does i guess his ministry we're gonna talk more about his ministry next week but kind of like how did it begin you know he was walking in damascus and then he got blinded and then he accepted christ but i mean 
how did that all start after that? Because he was on his way to go persecute Christians. So like, what did he, did he just turn back around or what did he do? Oh, I think it's, it's important to understand what exactly happened after he was blind. Yeah. He totally realized that all he had, his riches, his influence, his knowledge, everything he has now has no value. What can all of those do to a blind man? Uh, so, and his drive to kill uh, Christians no more. Uh, you know, when God will uh, sort of meet you, uh, he will do something that you will realize all you have done and all you are is nothing. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden he was blinded, boom. Uh, and now, now he was groping, he can't even stand, he can't even go. And he, he suddenly realized, wow, I, 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 I am nothing. And then Ananias, was it the name Ananias, I think, uh, yeah. God showed him in a dream that Paul will be there and you'll go and see him. And I said, are you sure? This guy is, uh, this guy is a killer. So right, this guy right. came to kill me. And now you're you, here again. Uh, but when this guy followed, I'm sure he was trembling when going to, to Paul. But the fact that Ananias knew he was blind, he said, well, maybe he will let me as fierce. He's blind, so I can run away. So he, he can run away, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can run away. He wants to kill me. Uh, so this was really the dialogue there. And so they were uh, talking. And I think it was at this time that he realized God was calling him. And I think there was a verse. I couldn't recall where. But uh, somehow God laid in his heart. Now, I, I am calling you for a, for a great job. Uh, that, that's where it all started uh, in the ministry. And the same intensity. Now, this is the... Uh, the, 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 uh, another thing we have to understand, the same intensity he had in persecuting Christians in the past was actually the same or even more intensity he now had, he now had at the time for spreading the gospel. Because I think I was saying, oh my, I have spent really very, very uh, intense efforts to do this. I have to do more than that to recover uh, the damage I have done to the Christian world. So uh, I, I will say that's a great point because a lot of times, like you know, like sometimes our weak, I, I guess what do you call it? Like when our character is cha- channeled the right way, I mean, we could really be dangerous for Christ. Like similar to Paul, he had that vigor that you can't really teach, right? Right, zeal, I guess. But then you know, when that channeled the right way. It's amazing for Christ. Same thing with our tendencies. One might be impulsive, let's just say, uh-huh. right? If you're impulsive, you work on the things that are not good to be impulsive, but then you can actually channel it the right way where you're impulsive of how you will love somebody. Like, you know, you can change that to where you become great for Christ, good for Christ, but you just channel those things that could be, what do you call it? Like pitfalls and then you turn to strength. Right, so that's, right, one, right. that's one thing. Also, another thing is like, you know, the Pharisee obviously were affluent rich, but Paul was the best one out of all of them. He even said that he was the top of the rank of all of them at the time. So he's the best Pharisee at the time. But he gave it all out up, obviously, because like dad said, when God really convicts you, it's hard to, you know, really kind of step away from that. So then going, going to that point, it's like, okay, so if we were to see what happens after, so let's just say chronologically what happens after 
I guess, like, he becomes blind, okay? So what happens is on his way to, you know, for those who maybe don't know, he's on his way to go and persecute more Christians. And then on the way to Damascus, he's blinded, and he meets Jesus, right? And he hears Jesus say, hey, why are you persecuting me, right? Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then, you know, then he actually has an aha moment that, oh, I'm in the wrong side, right? But unfortunately, because maybe of Jesus being so bright or whatever, like his eye gets obviously like just kind of shut, right? He can't see. So for three days, this is fascinating. For three days and three nights, right? He can't eat or he can't drink. Like he just didn't eat or drink. Right. Right. So I'm not sure what that is. A lot of mental breakdown, stress, you know, all these things kind of happening that maybe just like a crisis of, identity right because sometimes you don't want to eat because of those things so like stress and all that can also make you not want to eat yeah right so he's really processing pondering his life but in the midst of that right Ananias comes right who was fearful that's really funny story because he was fearful of Saul now Paul because he was the baddest man really on the planet of killing Christians at the time it's a bad dude right and so obviously like that happens but he still follows god you know so that's that's another thing hey follow god even if what he's saying doesn't make sense because what kind of knife did actually is brilliant because paul studies studies under him yes yeah he, he does for three years yeah afterwards. so all that to say so it, it, it first blinded for three days to really know what it's about being a, a legit leader of christians but it's fascinating. Ananias is actually the MVP of the story, in my opinion, because he was able to risk his life. Because honestly, he's risking his life. Right. Getting near Paul. Right? No, I mean, I know God said that, but he doesn't, you know. Two, two, so two, things, two things there, Josh. One is right. uh, that's the value of discipleship, that even right. Paul had to be discipled by Ananias. Right. And why three days? Maybe it was like his own graveyard, grave story. Uh, on the third day, Jesus rose again. That real quick is that he doesn't people think maybe he started his ministry right after, very like gung ho or whatever. But he's a very methodical dude. He waits patiently for three years. Right. Really he just discipled under Ananias. Yeah. To start his ministry after three years, so that his foundation is good. So I'm trying to. I'm not saying because seminaries around three years as well. I'm not saying go to seminary. Yeah. Right. I'm not <laughs> saying that. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is that well, like really prepare. Grounded, Prepare for your faith because then, like, in this life, like Dad said, it's a hard thing to do, but like, try to be discipled by a mentor because it's hard to reach out, especially when you're a young Christian. But an advice that I think Paul would say too is find your mentor that you trust that's really godly so that you can share your like sins and like they can share their sins and their pitfalls and what not to do. I'm sure Dad can attest, isn't it? correct to have a mentor i know you told me that to find yeah. one yeah you have to find one who's uh, authentic right uh and not defensive right um, that's fair, that's uh, fair. Uh, i just wonder just why it is not a requirement in the seminary for you to be blind before you enter the seminary for you well to be blind oh well, blind they, they really <laughs> i will say they really try hard to convince you that you're blind yeah. <laughs> they, so they, 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 simu- they simulate the blindness. Yeah. Actually, no, actually, the blindness. I will say this. I might get hate for it, but I think 
the seminary on purpose makes you blind. <laughs> they purposely poke your eyes out. They put the yeah, ad right? so that you would. That's why when you leave seminary, you need another three years. <laughs> you need another three years before you can start again to get discipled again. <laughs> yeah, well, they were saying that the seminary is dismantling the vehicle. So the right. seminary is like you dismantle the car. So you right. understand every part of a car. Every and part. The combustion chamber, the wheels, transmission, right. everything. Except it has to be put together. Yeah, well, after graduation, you put it together. After graduation, you put it together by yourself. Yeah. That's and why then, it's so uh, hard. Yeah. Because you put and it then, together, uh, right? Yeah. But yeah, what what happens if you take apart the car and you had lost the pieces? You can't put it together. Yeah, that's, a, that's the reason why seminary students. Uh, uh, get in a lot of theological accidents. Uh, right. Exactly. Uh, sometimes, uh, honestly, they have the big pieces like polished, but then they forget the screws. So their mind the screw. Screwed. So everything's put together, but the car's not really strapped together. It's just right. So unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes they're they're overscrewed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so honestly, it makes sense if they're overscrewed. They're too hard headed. It's too hard headed, right. or if not, yeah. it just it crumbles. Yeah. Uh, the, the last question I really have for tonight before, you know, just combine it with what's the point is um, just from the background on Paul, what we learned about Paul meeting God and how his life was turned around. Um, what can we learn from that with Paul about God and just what's the point of talking about Paul's background? Uh, for me, the, um, what's the point with Paul is that God can use even the worst person for his purpose. Often, in fact, we could not believe how God can use a particular person and, you know, like wash him, turn him around and make him so, such a I've seen hundreds uh, of people that unbelievably, uh, you would think, no way that uh, they, can, they can be that. Mm -hmm. well, well, honestly, in my batch in high school, I was a naughty boy in, in high school. No one ever believed that I would be a pastor. In Did my you graduate batch. with a black eye? Yeah, I graduated with a black <laughs> eye. So during our uh, our reunion, I and now I pray. Now I am the one that they, they call you pastor. You smoke a lot of weed too, right? A lot of weed. Yeah, too. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was the promoter of uh, bad efforts in in high school, right. and, and and now I'm, I'm the pastor. In the I'm sure some of the people in my batch are saying, "How come?" Yeah. Uh, what, 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 what happened there uh, so but I can relate with that that God can choose the, the worst and make him the best right. and, and I think that's, that's the point in, that's, in post, the, uh, that's the same thing for me is the what's the point that I was saying I think God wants to really show us that if we're being honest we're all like Paul because you say but I'm not a murderer even if you have the thought of murder in your mind that makes you already a murderer mm -hmm. Or like adultery, all of the so, so God really like levels the playing field here. Like Jesus does and says, hey, like even if you think about it, just to show you, to actually help you out, to say you need a God, right? right. Not just not to condemn you, but to really say like you need me to help you out, right? And so it's this idea of like we're all really Pauls, right? For being honest, right? Different manifestation, which means that we're all worse sinners which means that we need a savior. But the good news is that he's not intimidated of our mess. 
yeah. really, right? So that's a that's, lot of us uh, think we need to be polished problem? before we go to him. Before we go, I want to ask that who was the worst person? You don't have to say their name, but what did they do? Who do you think in your all your ministry things? Who was one person that you saw became a Christian that you were like, how God? Was there something in particular, somebody? Well, um, I, what, what I, I, I would have to think of, uh, maybe one of them was a, a worst um, communist, um, well, uh, a worst communist guerrilla uh, yeah. commander uh, uh, who became a pastor. His name is Roger Arienda, who became a great evangelist during our time. Wow. Uh, the other one was a communist indoctrinator uh, wow. of the youth, uh, a teacher at the Philippine College of Commerce. His name was Professor Eddie Villanueva, who is now oh, the founder wow. of Eddie the Jesus Lord, uh, one of the biggest churches in the Philippines. Uh, you, you God will use the indoctrinator of the communist to become uh, a, a pastor, you know. But see, wow. we just we just don't know how God can use someone. Um, and I just don't decide. Did you know, Kelly, that the, one of the twelve uh, first disciples or Bible study members of Eddie Villanueva as a, as a teacher was your Nino Oji. Oh, was he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um. So basically, I mean, we're gonna wrap up here. I think this was a great introduction to Paul. We'll finish up with his ministry in depth next week. Um, but I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time together that we can talk about Paul, that we can talk about you and learn about what you can do in our lives. Thank you for showing us that you could use anyone, um, no matter what we've done, you could use us for your glory. Um, help uh, anyone that's listening to this, may you bless their lives and um, they want to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Um, may they do that and uh, touch their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.